0: Join Rabbi Dr. Reb Mimi Feigelson as she blends stories, teachings, and spiritual direction, inspiring us to inscribe ourselves in the book of life and living. One of the world's most vibrant teachers of Hasidut, this podcast celebrates the life and teaching of Reb Mimi, an essential link in the chain of the Hasidic rabbis who preceded her. Welcome to Hasidic Chabur for this year. Um, it is an amazing joy to have this time together. As you know, it's one of my favorite favorite times at school. And uh, we're going to do something different this year. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, to be honest, meaning to say, I know where I want us to start and I don't know where we're going specifically yet. So I chose for us to look at the learn the Maharal together and specifically his commentary on Pirkei Avot. And when thinking about why I wanted to do this, so there are two responses that I can offer. One is to say that similar to what we did last year, learning Tomul Dvorah as um, a source that fed the Hasidic Rebbe's. And I feel it's important when opening... The, and learning from the Rebbe's to also know what they were learning and to be able to hear what they were learning. So, and not only the Mishnah, and not only the Gemara, um, but also other rabbinic literature. tomod one, the Maharal had a great influence on the Hasidic library and the, the world of Hasidic Rebbe's um, conceptually. So, therefore, important to spend some time. But this isn't a course in the Maharal. And it's not intended to be, a course, in the maharata. It's intended for us to have time to sit and learn together and to, as I said often, a full protein in terms of feeding our bodies and our soul. So in that, that way, it's not going to be a conceptual class on the maharata and so on. But then when thinking about really why I want to do this, um, I realized you know, there's a story that I often share, and it's, uh, it's timely in terms of we're going into Sukkot. And so there's a, um, there's a story that I love telling about a chasset that comes to the to the uh Belz Rebbe, and he says to him, Rebbe, I want you to know this is the last year you're going to see me. He says, you know, 30 years I've been coming to see you every year, and it takes me three weeks to get to you, and I'm here for Rosh Hashanah Kippur through the end of Sukkot, Shemun Yatzeret, and then it takes me 3 weeks to get back and then I spend the rest of the year making enough money to be able to leave enough money for my family and come here for the time that I'm here but I realized like you know 3 weeks on the road is a long time and I realized that you know this world is is a corridor to the next world and the, where are you going to be in the next world and where am I going to be in the next world and I realized you're going to be with all the sadikim and and where am I going to be? If I'm lucky, when they open the doors to the Beit Midrash where you're sitting and learning, I'll be able to see your body swaying from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided, like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm done. So the Rebbe, the best smiles at him, and he says to him, you know, he says, my dear one, he says, I promise you, if when you get up there, there's one teaching of my that you learn from me that you remember, I promise you sit next to me in the world to come. And the Chassid doesn't budge. <laughs> then the Rebbe says to him, Okay, so, even if you don't know, a spe- remember a specific teaching that you learned from me, if you remember what it was about, I promise you will seat next to me in the world to come. So you don't remember exactly what the Sugiyan Agma'a looked like. You don't remember exactly what that section in the Shulchan Aruch was. But you remember we learned about Hilchot Zdaka. That'll be sufficient. And the chassez still doesn't budge. Now there are two versions to the story. The way it was, and the way Rabbi Mickey Rosen, of blessed memory, thinks it was.
1: (laughs) And I always tell both versions.
0: Because I was the one who told him the story. So the way the story goes is, the chassez still doesn't budge. And then the Rebbe says to him, OK, fine. You don't remember specific teaching. You don't remember what it was about. But you remember how you felt when you learned it. That'll be sufficient. The way the story is told is the next year the chassid came back. So I told the story. Um, first, the first time I told the story was actually to Rabbi Shlomo. And I said to him, so I want you to know, I have something to say on a joke level and on a serious level. I said, on a joke level, take a good look around this room because you're stuck with us forever. I said, on a serious level, I want to thank you because I know I'll always have a seat next to you in the world to come. So I told Rebbe Mickey Rosenberg, I said, Mary, the story. And he says, that's not the story. And I said to him, Mickey, I'm telling you the story for the first time, and you're telling me it's not the story? If you want to know anything about what it was like to learn with him, this was a taste of it. <laughs> I said, fine, so what's the story? He said, the chassid still didn't budge. And I said, okay, fine, now what? So he said, the Rebbe said to him, you don't remember what you learned, you don't remember what it was about, you don't remember what you felt, but you remember that you felt something. That'll be sufficient for you to have a place in the world to come next to me. And the way the story ends, he said is, the next year the Chassid was back. <coughs> so, why am I telling you this story? My first Rebbe, before Rebbe became a Rebbe, was Udi Leon, lived in Yerushalayim, um, with his wife, Rava and they have children and grandchildren. And I met Udi uh, for the first time about six months before I met him. I, I saw him in a dream. And I woke up in the morning and went, hmm, wonder who he is. And I remember walking from one room to another in a certain building in Svat and him saying to me, my mother is responsible for adoption in Israel, Udi <coughs> in good health. And... Um, and then six months later, we're, I'm at a seminar in Bed-Geschel in Svart, and we're walking from one room to another. And we're walking past a corridor. And he says, my mother is responsible for adoption in Israel. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> I said, we met. It's a long story, but we met. So, um, and that is the truth. And when we met, I was 16. And how crazy is it, looking back now in my life? But at the time, Udi was 23. Now, granted, he was married already for three years, so I thought he was much older than me. And he knew everything about life that I needed to know and had wisdom beyond. Um, And, you know, here we are um, almost 40 years later and we're still dealing with a situation. (laughs) I should say 35 years later, not that old. 35 years, not that young. 35 years, almost 35 years later, and we're still dealing. 30 years (laughs) Um, and that's a great blessing that 30 years later he and his wife are still in my life and, um, and literally for many years kept me alive in more ways than one can even begin to describe and we still love and fight and scream and yell and respect and honor and it's a good thing and um and even this past summer we had words between us and I came to visit and he said I was just thinking what am I going to do with this girl I'm like But that's where we are and um, we spent 10 magical days together in spot, and then and then I needed to learn and I never asked him why which I felt last night I said to myself I really need to I'm like, I need to find out why. But I started learning with him the Rahim. I started learning with him the Maralim Antalkeavot. And we did a Chavuta. Now, this is 35 years ago. So what that means is I would sit at the table in the house and I would learn by myself and I would take notes with a pen and paper and I would write down all these things Questions and understandings, and and then and I would mail it to him, and then a week would pass, and I get an envelope back with his comments wow. on what I had learned, and with his questions on what I had learned. And I remember him specifically saying at one point, he says, "Your summary is really nice, but I need you to be asking different kinds of questions." So, and it's not, I started going to Shurim, I started learning when I was already 12 years old. Like I started going to classes at night um, by the time I was 12. Uh, so it wasn't a question of like learning from others, but this of really learning one-on-one, and in some way learning one-on-one with the Maharal, and another way learning one-on-one with Udi. Um, this is really like, I feel like where I began my first serious chavruta learning. And there's a way in which I have a very, I can tell you, like I remember the first Mishnah, I don't remember anything else. I remember the first Mishnah of Derichayim, and I remember this question about Moshekibel Torah mi Sinai, u Moshe receiving Torah from, from, from Sinai and transmitting it to Yoshua, and the difference between Kabbalah and Messirah. So I can tell you that's, how, that's what I remember from 34 years ago, right? I remember that. And I remember what I felt like sitting on the porch and in my home in Rehovot and writing these letters. And I can tell you what I remember what I felt like opening the letters, opening the envelopes with his comments. Um, and I feel that there's a way in which there's a piece of that that I want to I wanna give you. So I, I really want to say even more than The content of the Maharal, which I want to give you the content of the Maharal. um, But I really want to give you, I want to give you this journey that started in such, um, I want to say innocence and devotion and yearning to learn and yearning to connect and wanting to be, wanting to be on the road. And then having this one person who was willing to partner with me on this journey and who, over 30 years later, he and his family are, still, are, are so close in my heart and in my being. Uh, we still walk together. And his daughter, Erev Pesach, sent me a question about Pesach. So and in that way, it's this generational relationship within the family. <laughs> to be in that way, for her father to be that for me. Chava always the, the voice of, of reason, of presence, complete unwavering presence, um, really uh, an in that way, this divine mother and Yoel and, and Rivka, the oldest and the youngest um, of the children and to have that family. So that kind of partnership, as you know, I pray for you to find those people in your life that will walk with you this way and will be devoted and committed to you in this kind of way. And that thirty years later, right, they'll still think of you as the kid, even though, and even though you know, thirty years later, I'm not a kid. And truth be told, he's a contemporary. <laughs> Right when you're 16 and he's 23 and you're there are seven years between you and he's married then you're not the same generation, but at some point, right, those seven years they sh- they shift meaning, they shift meaning those seven years. So I really want to, I want to give you I want to give you that relationship that evolves through the years and 30 years later we have this multi generational relationship that continues on. And I want to give you that longing and that yearning and that aspiration and that determination to find teachers, to find who to learn with. Um, And to endure all that that takes and goes along with it because it's not always an easy journey. The Rav-Talmid relationship isn't always an easy journey. um, But to trust, to trust in it. So for all of those reasons... That's why I want to I wanna have this time to sit and to learn the Maharaj together. And, and to think when I can see myself sitting at that table, um, and now I'm smiling because I'm thinking about the fact that the green chairs in my house, the green folding chairs, that's what I was sitting on when I was learning the mahara 34 years ago. Those chairs that you've all sat on in my home. Those are my grandparents' chairs. My rabbi doctor grandfather and my master's degree grandmother. They, that, those were those chairs. So those chairs have such a history. And if you told me when I was sitting alone, thinking I had no one to, that understood me, and no one to communicate with, no one I could learn with, and except for this person who I would write letters to, and would answer me, right? If you would say, OK, what's the story of these chairs? And who's going to be sitting on these chairs? And in 35 years from now, you're going to have talmidim that are going to be sitting on these chairs, that are going to be rabbis in America. <laughs> and you're going to be a rav. None of that. I just want you to know, like none of that. Well, any of it was, none of it was possible. None of it was possible, not even to think of, not to dream, not to think of. There was no reality of that. So where the learning will take us all and what it looks like, this is where I started. And I think I felt at this point, this is what I wanted to share. All of it, all these years, all the learning, all the journey, all the, all of it. So this is the Mishnah. Moshe received Torah from Sinai, gave it, passed it on to Yeshua. And this transmission, Moshe, Yeshua, the elders, the prophets, the people of the great assembly. I learned to say that in English. That in Deuteronomy. I can even say Ecclesiastics. <gasps> yeah. That's as far as we go. <laughs> <laughs> they said three things. be moderate in judgment. Establish many students. And create some kind of foundation for the Torah. Um, so the, what he's going to do here first, God bless him, is He's going to ask a gazillion questions, which is probably as far as we're going to get today. I do want to say that you'll see this structure similar with the Slonim Rebbe. He poses a handful of questions on on a given pasuk, and then from there he moves forward. So this is really, I want to say, a very intellectual, conceptual structure of how to enter into It's not a Rabbi Nachman of, well, this is, remember this? Oh, this is like this. Oh, this is like this. Remember the b'chinat word? Like? As you know, in my facetious moments, I say Rabbi Nachman was the first valley girl. (laughs) Everything was like. Like, b'chinat. He called it b'chinat. Like. Okay. Too close to Yom Kippur with that comment. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, So these are the questions he's going to pose, which will be an opportunity, and I'm sitting here with pages, please. So there are a dozen, so you're going to have to share. And um, and there will be more next week. By the way, I have two editions of it, and I can't find either of them, if you find either of them. I think one I gave away, and the other one disappeared. So that is the crazy thing. That I know that I had two copies of the Delachim and I now have none. God bless the library, if you find either of them. One's red and one's brown. So these are the questions. Moshe kibeton Misinai. Moshe received Torah from Sinai. Now I just want you to know he's gonna spend pages on this phrase. When was the last time any of us okay. spent hours on these four words? As if, what is there to ask about it? What is there to say? Mazel tov. We all know that. We all read the Psukim in Shmot. We all know where Moshe was standing, and we all know how the story happened. And yet he has a lot of questions to ask about what that means. And I'm going to zoom through these questions. You can now see how we're going to do bikyut, you are going to do like a whole page of the, of the Maharal in four minutes. And you're going to love me for it. Ol. One needs to ask, What is this receiving? Okay, but what does it mean? Right? Not Moshe Natan Torah. I want to highlight that for a moment. Not Moshe gave us the Torah at Sinai. Moshe received the Torah at Sinai. And I want to say, I have to, for me, at least too close to Yom Kippur to not be honest. I don't think about Moshe Kibel at Sinai. I think he received the Torah when he was in the heavens with God. And then once he was on on the mountain itself, he was already in, in submitting motion. He wasn't receiving motion. So, this demands of me to think a little bit, ask myself different kinds of questions. What does it mean? What is this receiving? What did he receive? What does it to mean to receive Torah? Right? One of the things, like Rabzon's me, like, the language that we share often is that we give over Torah, we don't teach Torah. Right? That's the language we've been taught to use we give over that's a mesirah that's a transmission moshekibel yes lavin ma ainan azot eh ba torah mizel lezeh be masachat azot ma shelo nimtzah be shum and tell me what is unique about this masachat what is unique about masachat avot that we need to be told this it's not the opening of brachot you would think, okay, fine. The opening of Masechet Brachot, the first tractate of the Mishnah, would be "Moshe." Like you want to know how the Mishnah came to be. That's how the Mishnah came to be, but it's not there. So what happened at Matan Torah, which is unique from Masechet Brachot, right? I mean, the truth of is like, why doesn't this appear in the beginning of Masechet Eduyot? the day that the Masecha, one of our earliest Masechot, the day that we have a transmission of the, tra- of the traditions. Like, you want to know, that the, the rabbis brought the traditions that they remembered. Okay, how far back do those traditions go? That would have been a great place <coughs> to bring this Mishnah, to open it with Moshe Kibel, Torah, Misenah, Misal L'Hoshua, and so on. So what, what's happening here in Masechat Avot that we need to know where this is coming from? Okay, how many people have thought about that question before? Excellent. But if you are mirah, seeming, it's seemingly, is he sensing here the the, the, the age of the different N- um No, I think he's he's asking. He wants to he wants to single out what is unique about masachot which he's going to say in the next sentence. And I don't think he's asking those questions. Mm-hmm but he wants to use this as a way of highlighting. Why why doesn't it open a more important important masikhet? Not more important. Just why here? Why here. Yeah, just why here. So the uniqueness is that this masikhet is actually about moral behavior, not seemingly the H word. Halakha. Right? Which you would think that's what we need to know where it comes from. Where does it come from? Musa al Dafka. Moral ethics. So you would think that actually these kinds of behaviors, like looking both ways when you cross the street, saying thank you, being polite, respecting your elders. For that we needed kolot barakim and ramim, right? For that we needed the, the the light and sound show that we had at Matan Torah. Not so clear. That's troubling to me. I, I would expect that Dafka, the morality, to come from the Torah, and I feel like that's the most important, the most important part of the Torah. You know, what is hateful unto you, do not do unto others. That that's morality right there. That's that, you know, did not quote there. A to but if you weren't commanded to be an ethical and moral person, would you not be an moral and ethical person? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Right? That's a good, great question. Right? And I want to hold that. Right? Chances are, on record, chances are, if I wasn't, if I wasn't obligated to kashrut, then I would have a visceral reality of what cheeseburgers are, not only a fantasy. <laughs> okay, because I know if I, take a, if I take a soy burger and soy cheese, it's so shackled because it's barely food. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's insulting to the concept of cheeseburger to say a soy burger with even regular cheese or a soy burger with soy cheese. Like, it's, like it's an insult to the concept of cheeseburger. I even know that. So the chances are that I, that I would only have a fantasy of a cheeseburger at this, t- at this stage in my life and not a reality of a cheeseburger if I wasn't commanded? Small. I'd like to believe that I'd be a moral and ethical person even if I wasn't commanded. I'd like to believe. I mean, there'd be a hope, maybe. But I don't know. And I want to stay with your question. Uh, right? Because I don't. We don't. Maybe we don't. I mean, the truth of the matter is 12 people were shot this morning in D.C. And I really want us to hold their memory for a moment in our learning. Right? That's the reality. So we don't know. We don't know. Torah <laughs> asher Which means that for the Maharal, actually, he makes this distinction. He thinks that what we received at at Matan Torah were actually the mitzvot. Not the Musar. That the Musar is, is something that evolved based on our abilities, our understanding, our human presence. That's what appears, at least in the image that the Maharat is presenting right now, that's the image that he's holding. That what we received at, at Matan Torah was the Halachot. And we need to be told that Musar also comes from there. Which is why, which is why I, I coined our learning day, how many parents do we have? He's going to go on in this. But it's really, I'm always taken, especially in the supermarkets, in public places, When kids listen to their parents, it's a a phenomenon in my eyes. There's a part that doesn't understand it. The parent tells the kid what to do, and they just do it. And at worst, it's like, because I said so. And because I said so is enough of an answer for the kid. Now, it's not like this kid, I think... You want to tell me you want to talk psychology and sub and subconscious? Yeah, the kid knows that subconsciously, if he doesn't, then he's not gonna have dinner. If she doesn't, she's not gonna have a house to sleep in, she's not gonna have security. I mean, you could tell me subconsciously, there are all these components that go along with why we listen to our parents. But there's a because so God tells us. That's it. We have parents. Subscript, superscript, super-superscript. Parents. Masechet Avot. Why is this Masechet called Masechet Avot? Who do we answer to? Afilu im We'll say a few more moments we have. Afilu im even if we say, kibel even if we say that Moshe received everything Missinai, and you can see here he's quoting the Gemara and the Ushalmi. Even if you say he received Afilu the nirah. even what? Will assume to be a new idea, a new concept? Why here more than any other? Massechat? Right? In my, in my imagination, Brochot would have been a good place, Eduyot would have been a good place. Just in terms of the technicalities of Torah Shabbat But beyond that, I'm sure, as many people as there are around the table, you could have placed it somewhere else that would have seemed more necessary or more needy. The truth of the matter is, when you learn the chot Shabbat, you may think, oh, maybe we actually need it in Shabbat. <laughs> maybe there we need to be told where it comes from. Okay, that's question number one. Question number two, v'od sh'amar torah You're going to love it. Okay, he didn't receive Torah from Sinai. He received Torah from God. I'll never forget. I will never forget. God bless her. Okay, Atira. Atira, she must be now 30 years old. No, she's even more than 30 years old. So, she was a daughter of I don't know if I can say their names because I don't know if it's okay with her. So, But I learned with her father, um, and I came to visit them. And she was a little girl at the time, and she was in the bath when I came. So I joined them in the bath. And then, um, and then her father came home, and he said, Do you remember where you met Mimi? And she said, In the bath. <laughs> okay. Not when we were together in spot, and we were learning torah together. no, in the bath. And it was just like hysterical, but that's kind of like what he's saying here about the Mishnah. Like Mosheki Ami Sinai." You spent 40 days in the, mount, uh, uh, in the mountain in the cloud, learning from God, And then you say, "I got the Torah in the corner of Pico Robertson." <laughs> <laughs> Right? That's it. That's what's going on here. Okay, that's question number two. Question number three. So we see here this flip between Kabbalah and Mesira. Now, you guys all know because you guys, by now, all of you know and remember the first Mishnah and Yoma. So, you all know when it says mafrushim versus matkinim, there's a whole story going on there. You all know that there's a difference between to appoint and to separate out. Okay, there's a difference between misiran kabbalah, receiving and, and transmitting. What's going on there? Why wasn't it, Moshe kibel Torah misinai? Yoshua Torah mimoshe, And so on. Or Moshe massal Torah misinai? also would have worked. What's the distinction between Kabbalah and Messirah? Okay, we're not done with the questions. So they all kiblu. Right? We actually say when we receive the Torah, what does the Gemara say in the time of, of Esther uh, right? Esther and Mordechai? They accepted and they received. Not kimu masru. So what is this? And why do we call our mystical traditions Kabbalah? Not, I use the word in English, tradition, which is in Hebrew, Masoret, Mesira. So why do we call our mystic tradition Kabbalah and not Mesira? Especially since it's a tradition that is transmitted from teacher to teacher to teacher. Okay, how are we doing with the questions? It's not like this word disappeared after the first time it was, it was like. Oh my God, I shouldn't have used that word, buzzword, I revealed all my secrets, not again. But that's not true, because later on, we'll see, the Kabbalah appears again. So it's not like he lost his ability, the Mishnah didn't lose its ability to use it. And so therefore, and he continues, Kiblu Mimeno And so therefore, and he continues, when we come to the pairs and the continuous Mishnayot, there's Kabbalah there, not Mesira. What is the uniqueness of this word? Right, it's very interesting. In the, in, the, in the yeshiva world, they say, who do you hold by? So we see these different verbs. What do they say about the nature of the relationship? Who do you hold by? That's Achiza, this holding. Who do you hold by? When it came to the couples, to the pairs, Kabbalah was always there. Okay, so we're going to stop here for today. Our questions, right, are about these words that we use, and I want us to think about, like, how do we receive, and how do we transmit? So much of the work you're going to be doing here, and are doing here, is about Kabbalah and Masira. What does it mean to be in this link? Of And who do you receive from? Where do you receive? How are you going to transmit? Kabbalah misirah. We're going to talk next week, God willing, about location. We're going to talk about our morality and our actions. Where do they come from? Who are our parents? Who are our avot? As Reb Zaman would say, and his library should ever have washed lima because the flooding in Boulder, and his really his prayer room and his library should dry quickly and things should be restored. Um, Reb Zalman would say, like, who's on your board of directors, right? Who do you answer to? Who are our avot? Who are our imahot? Who are our matriarchs? Who are our patriarchs? And as they start to come in, into our sukkah, the Avot in the Yimahot, what is it you want to receive from them this coming week? Like what questions have you never asked the Avot Mahot? But as they walk into your sukkah, what do you want to mikkabir from them? And what do you want to be able to be musil as well? I can't believe it, the First week of, second week of school, and I'm saying, "Hag <laughs> <laughs> samae," and only good. Go to you. This podcast is supported in part by a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Joey Weisenberg and the Hadar Ensemble. Learn more at risingsong.org. For more from the Sheffield Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.